Well, the schools have finally broken up for summer this week, haven't they? Summer holidays. And some families are already away. Plenty are still here. Some are even here on holiday. Even I've had a few days away in Scarborough with my proverbial bucket and spade. Hence the tan. So... (laughs) So it's a good time to begin our new summer sermon series that Mike introduced to us at the beginning of the service. And we've called it Jesus by the Sea. It would have been stretching a point even further to say Jesus on holiday. So we've had to settle for Jesus by the Sea. Now most of us uh, like or have enjoyed at one time or another the very special feeling that we get of being by the sea. You know, it's a different set of sounds, isn't it? The relentless breaking of waves is there as an impressive sign of God's power. The quality of air is different. The sea can make us think or feel differently even about ourselves. We're brought into the immensity of nature, but somehow not diminished by it. Now, water and the sea run through the New Testament as the Jordan River runs through Israel, bursting into lakes fed by tributaries of the Mediterranean. And Jesus has some of his most remarkable encounters in those places. And today's is perhaps one of the most memorable. Those moments when Jesus calls the fishermen to follow him as the first disciples, creating a line of succession of which we as Christians today, those of us that would call ourselves Christians, of which we are a part. You know, yet that line of succession is not something smooth and inevitable as some family lines might be. The call of Jesus so often interrupts the passive flow of normal life. It was William Connor writing in the Daily Mirror after the end of World War II who began with the words before we were so rudely interrupted. He mistakenly assumed that life would somehow pick up where it had left off before the war. In reality, everything had changed. And in a very different way, Jesus often breaks into our normal pattern of life, our plan A for living, if you like. He breaks into that, interrupts, brings peace, and invites change. And that's our story today, one of change set by the sea, a group of very normal Israeli fishermen who get interrupted by Jesus, throw down their nets in obedience and follow him to the ends of the earth and beyond the limits of human experience. Why? How did it change them? What were they getting into? Those are some of the questions that we'll explore today. If you want to follow the passage, it's on page 1032. We've just been looking at it, and there's also a sermon outline available in your newsletters. I'm going to begin by just looking at that encounter that takes place in those early verses, 1 to 7, between, well, principally Simon Peter and Jesus. Yeah, and it's Primarily an encounter between those two men. Others were present. Mark in his gospel records Andrew and later James and John here too in our passage. But it's Jesus and Simon Peter that speak in these early verses. Now the context is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. In the previous chapter, Jesus has healed many. 
And he's also spoken with divine authority in the synagogue. So he's getting a following. And that's reflected in the crowd that gathers on this lakeside to hear what he has to say. But for some, this lakeside is their place of work. The fishermen have left two boats at the water's edge as they stand washing their nets. Jesus interrupts their work and asks that they push off from the shore in one of the boats. Jesus doesn't go to the synagogue to find his first disciples, but to a place of manual labour, the equivalent of the factory, the construction site, the hospital, the fields. The story from that point is well known enough. After speaking to the crowd from the boat, Jesus has Simon Peter put into deeper water and let down his nets. What results is a miraculous catch of fish that's so abundant and unexpected that Simon Peter is called into confession before Jesus. More of that later. Jesus makes it clear, though, that this isn't a five-minute interruption to their lives, but one that will determine the rest of their lives as he calls them to become fishers of men, and they follow him. So that's the story outline. But, you know, I don't know about you, but it seems to me, in a funny sort of way, there's something that Luke isn't telling us in this narrative. Something that he isn't telling us. And I don't mean that irreverently, of course, but Simon Peter's responses to Jesus are remarkable. And Luke paints his picture of Jesus through those responses. Let's briefly reflect on what I might mean. What do Peter's responses indicate? I mean, Peter's obedience in first accommodating Jesus' request to put out from shore, interrupting his work at the end of a long, fruitless day. What does that tell you about Jesus? That that obedience of Peter to that request. Peter's compliance in going then into deeper water and letting down the nets when he'd spent all night doing so to no avail. What does that tell you about Jesus? Peter's absolute astonishment at the size of the catch that results. What does that astonishment tell you about Jesus? Peter's falling at Jesus' knee and confessing his sinfulness. What does that tell you about Jesus? And Peter's preparedness to move the boats on shore one last time, abandon everything he'd worked towards, and walk into an unknown future. What does that tell you about Jesus? This is the Jesus between the lines that Luke draws. It's where Luke wants us to go as he illustrates his picture of the man who was God. I don't know what adjectives occurred to you as I was asking you those questions. Perhaps that Jesus had authority. Perhaps that he was powerful. That he was holy, magnetic. Words like that. Is that a voice, a person that we know? 
one that we recognize, one that has maybe called us to be where we are now, or one that might do so in the future, in our place of work, by the sea, interrupting our semi-ordered lives and calling us to him. Because the evidence is that life-changing encounters with Jesus aren't limited to the Sea of Galilee, but continue today. I'm enjoying one of our other summer reading books, which is on the bookstore called Gate Crashing by Brian Heasy, which explains how Jesus interrupted his parish ministry in Dis in Norfolk with a call to serve in prayer ministry amongst the party crowd by the sea in Ibiza, pointing to Jesus in a sometimes debauched setting. I thoroughly recommend this book to you as well. Many of you know, I know, have examples, perhaps less dramatic or even more so than even that, of family members or people that you know whose normal pattern of life has been interrupted by a life-changing encounter or experience of Jesus. We have Simon and Joe Eastwood here this morning as testimony to that. But I'll move on now to consider a little of Simon Peter's own story and to recall that moment when seeing that miraculous catch, Simon Peter fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. What was going on there? Well, when we were considering what Simon Peter's responses might tell us about Jesus earlier, holy was a word that I offered. It certainly seems that Jesus' presence, spirit, and persona had the effect of kind of holding a mirror before Simon Peter and forcing him to take a long, hard look at himself. And in that mirror, he recognized his own sin before a holy God. The effect was that Simon Peter felt unworthy in Jesus' presence or perhaps unsure about turning to him. But turn to him, he does. Don't be afraid, Jesus says, and Simon Peter trusts. Now, I'm nothing special, but my own faith is founded on two basic principles. First, that I'm a sinner, And second, that God loves me. And I'm not unique in holding on to those beliefs. They've been the foundation of the faith for 2,000 years. And the way I look at it is that if I'm not a sinner, then I can't see much need for a relationship with God because I sort of feel okay on my own. And second, if God doesn't love me, then my sin is just a cycle of unresolved guilt which could destroy me and renders the cross pointless. So I hold on to those two things, that I'm a sinner and God loves me. And those are the principles I believe we see at work here. Peter knows his own sin, and yet Jesus takes him to the center of his mission team in love and asks him, in effect, to become its leader, its rock. And so Peter has faith and trusts.
Now, it's one thing trusting. It's another giving up everything we know as Simon Peter did to follow Jesus. And many of us, if not all of us, know that a family from here went out a few years ago to live and work in Jordan. And we recently asked them, actually, how they felt about this particular passage. And let me pick out a few of their words. So I quote, We identify with Peter here. There are times we want to return to our boat, times when we think we'll sink, and times when we just cling on to Jesus. But we've also, in a sense, walked on water, as Peter later did, in that we trust in a new way. We've gained new perspectives and been deeply enriched by him. But the hardest part is feeling a bit rootless, wondering where it is that we really belong. But even that makes us live for now and think heavenward, our ultimate destination. End of quote. Now, listening to that family, you get a real sense, I hope, of how deeply they are being changed by their experience of life in Jordan and by their relationship with Jesus. Trusting in, them has, trusting in him has taken them to situations and places that have challenged every fibre of their body. Yet, they're in much deeper water in their faith. Their trust in him is being rewarded and they're growing a faith that even now is inspiring others. My son, Tom, recently applied on a different note for some work experience with a cricket magazine. And in responding to Tom's emailed CV, the editor used a phrase that made us both smile. He wrote, well, it's early days, Tom, but you seem to have the right minerals. The right minerals. I love that word, minerals. It's raw, it's unprocessed, it's ingredients with good potential. I think Jesus sees the minerals in Peter. Humility, obedience, repentant heart. Someone who's big enough to say sorry. You see, Jesus wants us to change. Of course he does. He wanted Peter to change. But he didn't expect perfection. All he needed was a heart turned towards him. In Jesus' company, in the three years that followed, Peter made a string of mistakes. Yet he was the first to declare Jesus for who he is. Later, Peter disowned Jesus and was filled with remorse. Peter's was not a smooth journey. But he became the rock of the church. He had the minerals for it. And that works for us too. Jesus works with the minerals that we have. Through our relationship with him, we'll grow as Peter did. We'll feel able to go deeper, go into deeper water perhaps. We'll let him down and feel his forgiveness. We, I hope, won't lose sight of our sin, but we will feel a love that always trumps whatever mistakes we make. 
Finally, let's look at where Jesus asks Peter to help and what he asks Peter to be. You see, Jesus' encounter with Peter had an immediate impact on him and on others. Peter trusted and set out on a journey which would change him forever. But what was it really that he was getting into? What was it that Jesus wanted him to do? Well, Jesus explained this as Luke records it in three words, depending on the translation. Fishing for men, fishing for people. We don't hear Peter's reaction to that instruction. And I wonder how he, what he understood by that. How well equipped he felt. Yet. Yet if Peter had no boat any longer, he was walking alongside the living God. If Peter had no net any longer, He had a gospel to draw others to Jesus. If Peter had no crew now, he was part of a team. If Peter's physical strength would count for little any longer, he still had the strength that came from a new trust, the perseverance that came from faith, the hope that came from sensing an ultimate destination. And yet if Peter started with few polished words of his own, he listened well to the word that was amongst them. Following Jesus always involves leaving things behind. We reflected on that to a significant degree in our study of Ephesians, putting off the old self, you might remember, putting on the new. You may be someone who's never for a moment thought about Jesus and following him in terms like I've been describing, let alone him calling you, changing you, or having a part for you to play. Perhaps that moment, though, might be now. Or that time might begin over this summer. Perhaps you're someone who has some sense of a call or have had that in the past. There may be something that you think you could do, that you think God is calling you towards, but neither feel sure nor well equipped. Isn't that a little how Peter might have felt? Or you may be someone that's living in God's purposes right now. Where you are, who you are. Be attentive to him. And lose not your sense of your own sin and need for forgiveness as you work for him. You see, God has a mission for us all. And we're all part of his mission. We won't all be sent somewhere else. But we're all called as Christians to be in the world and bring him to others. This year we've invited others to events and we'll do more of that. Or we've been a part of messy church or connections or Christian witness in countless ways in the Ukraine and in other places. Do you feel challenged by the part that you're being asked to play? If not, perhaps you might.
Do you feel used by God? If not, then ask him to use you. I draw to a close just by saying that when Jesus comes into our lives, it's always an interruption to our plan A. I was doing quite nicely, steady job, young family, and now you're asking me to stop doing this and start doing X and Y. Peter could have turned to Jesus and pointed out that he'd had a heck of a day and he was feeling a bit knackered, too tired to listen to him right now. He could have said that the price of mackerel was booming and that maybe Jesus should come back later. He could have said that his mum was unwell and perhaps Jesus could help with that instead. Peter could have said that he wasn't 100% sure what this fishing for people involved. And could Jesus leave a brochure? No. No, Peter saw the Jesus between the lines. He saw his deepest need for him. And he followed.